welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of Who Cares What's the Point, the podcast about the mind for people who think. My name is Saab and I am your host and producer for this show. And this week I am speaking with Joshua Swift, who is an assistant professor at the Department of Psychology at Idaho State University. Now Joshua is particularly interested in psychotherapy and particularly treatment refusal and premature termination in psychotherapy, pharmacotherapy, and their combination is what he studied in this paper. Now, treatment refusal is when a client is offered an intervention but then fails to begin it for some reason. And premature termination is when a, a person ends their therapy against the provider's recommendation and prior to recovering from the problem that led her or him to seek treatment in the first place. Now this is an issue because of course providers are trying to provide therapies which um, have good evidence in terms of their outcomes but should we be taking client preferences more into account and what happens when we don't? Have a listen to the conversation that Joshua and I have together, looking at comparing treatment, refusal, and premature termination rates when you compare psychotherapy and drug therapy and those combinations head to head. Well, thank you, Joshua, for joining us uh, for this show. And I thought I'd start off by asking you how you got interested and drawn into this topic to research in the first place. Yes, and, and thank you for inviting me to do this. Um, I, the idea for this research originally started, uh, well, my co-author Roger Greenberg and I have uh, recently completed a large-scale meta-analysis on dropout in psychotherapy, and that was published back in 2012. And, and then after that, we put together a book on evidence-based strategies for reducing rates of premature termination in, in practice, counseling and psychotherapy. And that book was published in 2015 by the American Psychological Association. And so we were thinking, we were just thinking a lot about treatment completion and treatment engagement with clients and, and really how to help them uh, best engage in psychotherapy. Now, Roger Greenberg uh, at SUNY Upstate Medical University, he's written a lot on expectations and their role in explaining some of the effectiveness of medications as well as psychotherapy. And I've done a lot of research on client preferences for treatment. And so we noticed a few interesting findings in the, the existing studies in that area. And, and one was that in the United States, at least, trends are showing a steady increase in the use of medication for mental health problems. Uh, but a slight decrease in the use of psychotherapy. And, and, and that's really interesting because research has also consistently shown, and, and, and this is research in the U.S., but as well uh, in other countries, consistently shown that when given a choice, uh, the large majority of individuals report that they prefer psychotherapy over medication. And so there's been a number of reviews that have uh, compared treatment outcomes for these two forms of interventions. Uh, but we wondered how all of that, how expectations, preferences, um, and thinking about dropout, how all of that pulled together to have an impact on uh, rates of treatment refusal and premature termination. 
specifically for medication uh, compared to psychotherapy. Before we go on, I'd just like to linger on something that you mentioned there, and, and that was the the increase in um, psychoactive uh, uh, medication uh, being mm-hmm. used in compared to psychotherapy. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's a trend that you've noticed. What do you think uh, underlies that trend, that change? Yeah, um, well, I think this has a lot to do with just um, knowledge about different treatments and kind of awareness of different treatments. You know, here in the United States, um, they're, by the drug companies, are, are um, kind of constant commercials for different medications to treat depression or anxiety or uh, whatever mental health problem it might be. Um, commercials also kind of on the Internet and just uh, so individuals are kind of seeing that a lot and kind of seeing that as the treatment option for uh, mental health problems. Whereas for psychotherapy, you know, there, there really aren't any commercials like that or advertisements to the general public. This is an area of research that I've actually uh, started doing a little more of, and, and there's more and more coming out of just direct-to-consumer marketing for psychotherapy, and, and how can we advertise it so it's, so it's more well-known. I think that's one source is just kind of the constant kind of visibility of medication treatments. And then I think the second source is um, the referrals and who um, individuals see first for their uh, mental health problems. And they're typically uh, first interact with a general health practitioner. And I think uh, those general health practitioners are uh, more likely to refer medication. And I, I have a, actually a recent experience with that. Uh, my wife and I were recently in the hospital. She, uh, we had our sixth child was born last month. And while we were in the hospital, they were doing, a, a, before we left, uh, the nurse and the doctor that was uh, kind of on staff at the time they were doing a great job just covering a number of areas for us to pay attention to after discharge. And, and I was really impressed that they brought up postpartum depression. You know, a number of women experience postpartum depression. And, and so it was just one of their um, screeners that they would talk about with every patient before they left the hospital. And I thought that was great. But after that nurse and doctor had uh, mentioned signs to look for for postpartum depression um, they said if any of that comes up you'll probably want to consider taking medication for that depression and I thought well what about psychotherapy there, there's research supporting psychotherapy as, as well for postpartum depression but I think that general practitioners oftentimes don't mention psychotherapy maybe because they aren't aware of the effectiveness of it for uh, differing disorders, or perhaps they aren't aware of the research uh, like what we've done looking at uh, preferences and treatment engagement, uh, that that can actually be better for psychotherapy and and clients want to hear about that. Um, So I think those two areas really play a big role on kind of increased medication use and decreased psychotherapy use over the years. 
Joshua, I think that that's a really salient example, and congratulations on the birth of your sixth child, by the way. Um, But I think you're right. We have a similar situation here in New Zealand where we do have direct-to-client marketing of um, psychoactive drugs. So, yeah, people and practitioners also uh, who are responsible for prescribing those see those ads and um, are contacted by those, uh, those companies too. But I think you're right in terms of, um, exposure to research that outlines the options and the effectiveness of psychotherapy is something perhaps that um, those practitioners and those gatekeepers don't get exposed to enough. I, I definitely hear that. Um, you you address two different things as well in your paper, um, treatment refusal and premature termination for psychotherapy. Perhaps you could um, talk about the difference between those two, just to orient our listeners. Sure. So treatment refusal is whenever a client is is offered a, an intervention, um, but then they fail to start it. So these individuals may have met with an, a, an initial appointment to uh, learn about treatment options or to uh, kind of discuss what their symptoms are. And then after kind of they were given a diagnosis or presented the treatment options, um, um, that they failed to carry forth with whatever option was was provided to them. Uh, premature ter- termination or their uh, dropout of treatment um, instead is when clients actually do start it. So they've had an initial appointment or they've started the drug medication, uh, but then they fail to complete kind of a full course of it. And uh, failure to complete a full course, you know, has differing definitions. Uh, primarily in, in these studies that we pulled the research from, it was based on a predetermined kind of set course. Um, so for example, um, for the psychotherapy conditions, you know, 12 sessions of psychotherapy might've been offered to, um, clients who were assigned to that condition or a certain number of weeks of medication and antidepressant, uh, might've been offered. And so, these are individuals who didn't uh, carry out to the end. Occasionally, some of the studies define premature termination based on an assessment by the therapist or the provider, um, seeing did the client um, use enough of the treatment to uh, gain remission of their uh, symptoms. Uh, But primarily it was, did they complete all of the intervention that there was to offer? Okay, great. So in your um, study, what you were interested in is comparing the rates of treatment refusal and premature termination in psychotherapy, uh, pharmacotherapy, but also the combination of psychotherapy and pharmacotherapy. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about, because I think you had four different categories that you were comparing against. Is that right? Right. Right. Yeah. So most of the studies that were included in in this meta-analysis, we had identified 186 different studies from the literature that were direct head-to-head comparisons of at least two of these conditions. Now, primarily the conditions were uh, pharmacotherapy compared to psychotherapy. Uh, There were another group of studies, a sizable group, that compared either pharmacotherapy alone or psychotherapy alone to a combination of of psychotherapy plus uh, medication. And then there was a smaller group of studies that we were also interested in uh, that had a condition of psychotherapy plus uh, pill placebo. 
And we were interested in looking at that one as well, because especially when we're talking about treatment refusal, the participants in these studies didn't know that they were taking a pill placebo, of course. And so any refusal that they did uh, was under the belief that they were refusing psychotherapy plus medication. When it came to premature termination, we can't be quite certain if that belief was still there. Perhaps they felt like uh, they recognized that the placebo wasn't having an effect, things like that, and that led to their dropout. Um, or perhaps, you know, they were just not satisfied completely with the changes that they were making. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, so there were a smaller number of studies that did have that condition in there, but we wanted to look at it as well. And it's a very uh, systematic uh, method that you had of selecting the studies to include in your meta-analysis. That's very clear in your paper. Um, one of the things that um, come to mind as you were talking is the um, um, the level of experience that the uh, participants in the studies that you were looking at had of either psychotherapy or pharmacotherapy. Were these naive subjects? Was this the first time that they had um, undergone psychotherapy or pharmacotherapy? Or did that vary across the studies? Because I'm just wondering in terms of if people had taken perhaps um, psychoactive uh, medication before for a mental health difficulty, they may have had some experience as to what it was doing in their body. And I was just particularly thinking right. about that um, combination, they would recognize the placebo because they weren't experiencing that? Right. Now, that's a really good question. And we didn't systematically code that across studies. But in our review, as I was going through them, you know, noticing that it did vary widely, uh, not just between studies, but even within studies. Most studies had identified clients, uh, participants in their studies who uh, had previously tried one of the other treatments. Um, yeah, there were some studies still uh, kind of in contrast where uh, they had a specific requirement to participate in that study. They couldn't have tried um, a previous intervention. So there was a lot of variety, but I don't have the exact numbers on uh, how many were under what condition. Sure. Okay. Uh, you are also looking across uh, a number of different um, categories of mental health difficulties and diagnoses that people might have been experiencing in order to be referred for treatment of one form or another. Um, yeah, a whole cr a whole range. But perhaps you could perhaps uh, give a little bit of an example of that. Yeah. No, we wanted to be as comprehensive as possible in this. You know, we wanted to first give a, an overall, you know, sense of the field psychotherapy compared to pharmacotherapy, you know, how do these perform on treatment refusal and premature termination? Uh, but although that's really important to get the overall sense, I think where it really has more meaning is when we look at a specific disorder. So when a, a client comes in, say, who has, you know, is experiences with anorexia, bulimia, and, and that's the problem that they're suffering from, you know, what might the recommendation be for them in particular? Now, for treatment refusal, um, across all the studies that included those numbers, there is about an 8% refusal rate across all, all clients. Uh, but we found that, in general, psychotherapy clients were about half as likely to refuse treatment as, as medication clients. And... 
Um, so that's broad, but when we broke it down by the specific disorder, it was uh, depression, where we really saw the difference. Again, uh, clients with medication were about twice as likely to refuse that treatment than they were psychotherapy. It was also panic disorder. And with panic disorder, we actually found the largest differences where clients were almost three times as likely to refuse medication compared to psychotherapy. And then for social anxiety as well. And social anxiety, again, about, about twice as likely to refuse pharmacotherapy. When it came to premature termination, uh, on average, it was about a 21% dropout rate across all clients, all studies, all participants. Um, but then, you know, comparing it for a specific, uh, well, psychotherapy compared to pharmacotherapy, this time it was uh, 1.2 times more likely to drop out if they were assigned to medication compared to psychotherapy. And then breaking that down to the specific disorders, um, depression again was significant where, again, it was about that 1.2 times as likely to drop out of pharmacotherapy compared to psychotherapy. But then the other big one was um, one that I just mentioned, anorexia bulimia. And clients who experienced the anorexia or bulimia were two and a half times more likely to drop out of medication conditions compared to psychotherapy. But for most of the other disorders, um, we weren't seeing significant differences uh, between the treatment conditions. And it may be because uh, some of these disorders have less treatment that have been completed uh, with them. So for example, fewer studies, I think we only uh, had a handful of studies that compared medication to psychotherapy for say PTSD or um, um, generalized anxiety disorder, uh, agoraphobia, just a handful of studies. And so we're not quite sure if the lack of difference there was because we don't ha have quite enough studies that have been completed in those areas or um, if the treatments really are equivalent in those areas. Sure. I mean, there's, there's a lot to unpack there, but perhaps before I get into um, those specific results and also those overall results, I was curious about the range of psychotherapeutic approaches that were used in the studies that you put into the meta-analysis. My understanding is that they were mainly cognitive behavioral therapy. Is that right? Yeah, primarily were. Um, and that was just the nature of the types of studies that we included. You know, we wanted to include those direct head-to-head -head comparison studies, primarily that used a randomized controlled design. And most of those studies had, you know, very specific manualized uh, treatments that they were then using for psychotherapy. So primarily they were uh, cognitive behavioral uh, interventions. Uh, there were some, a small handful of them that um, were... Uh, manualized psychodynamic approaches, um, more interpersonal approaches, but uh, again, large majority of them were cognitive behavioral. Okay. So let's start off with treatment refusal and what you were talking about. Um, and you said that there was an uh, overall 8% um, treatment refusal rate, but when we look at um, specific disorders, then depression 
panic disorder and social anxiety stood out in terms of um, uh, randomization to a medication arm of a tr any trial or comparison meant that people were two or three times more likely to refuse. Um, so why why is this important? Why is treatment refusal um, a really important and the fact that these people are much more likely, well, considerably more, significantly more likely to refuse? Why would that be important for um, these um, the people experiencing these disorders? Yes. Well, if you think about it as a provider, um, you know, a patient or a client comes in to see you and um, you offer them a certain intervention, um, you may be basing what you're offering to them on research on the effectiveness of that intervention. And uh, that's great, that's excellent, but if you don't consider refusal as well, uh, you may be making that recommendation an error. And, and what I mean by that is, even the best treatment, even if you know research says that 99% of the people who take this treatment or use this treatment recover from their problems, if that client who you're meeting with uh, does not want to engage in that treatment, it's of no use to him or her. And so we really need to consider both. We can't just make recommendations on effectiveness alone. So those client preferences really do come into play because if somebody, if something's unacceptable to that client, they're going to walk away and they're not going to fill out the prescription and they're not going to take the medication. Exactly. Yeah. And so similarly for um, the, the termination for treatment termination, patient termination, 21% um, as a dropout rate. Um, that That's probably what most therapists would have understood to be the background rate, about one in five. Were you surprised by that rate at all? You know, when we completed our initial meta-analysis back in 2012, and that was just for psychotherapy, we had 669 studies in that meta-analysis that we reviewed. And the previous research on dropout in psychotherapy was estimating that about 50% of clients uh, discontinued prematurely. And so when we found that back in 2012, we also found about 20% for psychotherapy alone in, in that larger pool of studies. We were really surprised. Um, but now, you know, uh, five years later, as we uh, look at these studies, uh, it seems right in line with um, what we previously found. Yeah, that ha I'm just wondering, how does that compare to um, perhaps... Um, comparative treatment programs that people might be referred to by their health providers. Is there something specifically different around mental health here in terms of people being able to follow through and complete the treatment? Um, you know, I, I don't think so. I think uh, research is, uh, and I'm not as familiar, but uh, the number of studies that I've seen, the small number, uh, does suggest that you know, uh, treatment refusal and premature termination is is consistent in a lot of different disorders. So um, if you think about, say, um, interventions for uh, diabetes, you know, and, and oftentimes there are behavioral components uh, interventions for that, but um, similar high, high rates of treatment refusal, high rates of dropout, um, where they aren't following through on those 
recommendations that are provided. And we saw um, the um, very specific um, increases in risk of, of not following through for depression and anorexia and bulimia in particular here. Is there anything... Because um, I guess depression runs across both of those categories in terms of refusal and failure to complete the treatment. What do you right. think is um, there is in particular around depression that that makes this so? Yeah, well, I would, I would say first, I think that is the most robust area of research. That um, you know, that's an area that's long been studied, and and so we were able to pull. Um, uh, huge, you know, sample sizes uh, in terms of depression. Um, and so I think just the consistency in that research that's out there um, identified it as, as um, being an area uh, where differences could be found in both. And then I think um, that and for depression in particular, I think that a lot of clients who are experiencing depression really recognize that um, their symptoms have an emotional and cognitive uh, behavioral component to it. And so they really do want to talk to somebody, talk to a caring individual who will listen to them and be supportive of them as they uh, start to approach some of those um, emotions or approach some of those thoughts and, and traumatic histories that they've experienced. So I, I think it goes a lot back to uh, preferences again and, and what clients are really hoping to get um, to address their, their depression. That, that's certainly something that I got from your paper is that one of the big takeaways for me was that it was that um, provider-client fit around mm. the expectations as to what this treatment may offer. And I think you're, you're right. What, what I'm hearing is that um, those people who perhaps have a preference for psychotherapy, one of the things that's built into that expectation is not necessarily the th- the psychotherapy part of that interaction, but the idea that they will have a frequent meeting with their healthcare provider. Whereas with the, perhaps with the pharmacotherapy, although there would be follow-ups, the, the, the nature of that contact would be, I guess, presumably in the client's mind, patient's mind, quite different. Right. And I actually have completed a study looking at this very issue. And of course, you know, expectations of recovery play a role in clients preferences for treatment however in this study i I asked clients um, how much they would be willing to sacrifice in treatment efficacy in order to work with a caring individual or somebody who they feel like they have a good fit with who's going to listen to them be warm and understanding and clients were uh in this study were willing to sacrifice a lot. They were willing to take a treatment that, you know, maybe research showed that only uh, worked for 20% of the population over a treatment that research showed worked 70% of the population. They were willing to do that if their provider would be that warm, caring, understanding provider. That's, that's quite a sacrifice that people are um, prepared to make. Right. Yeah. 
and and um, and I don't know, you know, I don't know if they are just saying I don't care about the effectiveness. I want that relationship, or if for them they're really thinking, well, that's good for the population that that treatment works in general. But for me, if something's going to work for me, it has to be delivered by somebody who I can really trust and fit with. Mm. And what's your understanding in terms of um, taking these results into account? How is it likely to affect the outcome of um, the treatment pathway for, for the patients here, particularly, say, for example, these, this highly studied group of um, people who experience depression? So I think, you know, that uh, it depends on the design of the study, you know, that um, randomized control trials, again, um, as as they um, look at the effectiveness of treatment, then clients who are refusing are, are removed from that and clients who are dropping out again might be removed from the results. Now, I believe that, you know, it's becoming more and more kind of standard practice in in those types of studies to perform intent to treat analyses. And that is that if a client drops out, you don't just leave them out of your outcome results, but you take their final score and estimate that that would be their end score. And so they're still being included. But I think where we'll really see the biggest difference in the research findings is in more naturalistic studies as we um, start to consider more that treatment refusal um, and premature termination, that it's in those naturalistic studies where um, I think it has the biggest impact on patients and kind of the level of care that they do or don't receive depending on their choice to drop out or refuse. And that that sets us up nicely, Joshua. Then, because thinking about those naturalistic settings, and then actually the the clinical the clinical setting, um, who, uh, but also perhaps funders as well, people who are thinking about you know setting up services or designing services for delivery, who should care about this research, Joshua? What what's the point here? Where where, where does this take us? Yeah. Well, I would say that this research uh, is is very applied in nature, and kind of the biggest. Uh, kind of who should care, I would say, would be clients, of course, you know, individuals who are considering mental health treatment options and uh, that they can keep this in mind uh, as they consider those options. However, I think clients actually already have it in mind and that's what leads to their preferences. You know, they may not know the specific numbers of the research, but they know what they want. And so this is really uh, maybe just giving voice to their wants. Um, And so I think the biggest implications or uh, the target group would really be uh, any type of healthcare provider, anybody who is going to uh, see an individual uh, who may report to them symptoms of depression, symptoms of anxiety, or any other mental health problem. I think if healthcare providers then pay attention to this information, that uh, it may affect their uh, recommendations that then they would make to those clients. And I would say that um, I, I'm, you know, obviously I'm a I'm a psychotherapist. I'm a licensed psychologist, and so biased towards psychotherapy. 
I think this research supports that it should be a first-line uh, treatment option for most mental health disorders. Um, but I would emphasize even more so that uh, this research speaks to offering clients options that if somebody goes in to see a general health practitioner and they share symptoms of depression, that that general practitioner then say, you know, we have a couple treatment options that we can consider. Here's medication and here's some of the potential benefits as well as some of the potential downsides of medication. And here's psychotherapy as well. And here's some potential benefits of it as well as some potential downsides. And then allowing the client to, to have education about both options, know about both options, and then make a choice what seems to fit best for him or her. I think that's interesting that you've identified a potential um, stance because of your professional training here. Because um, I, I, I guess that um, I'm also thinking about training authorities or regulatory authorities who may come from a particular point of view because they're regulating a particular profession, perhaps may not take a wide enough span as to exactly what you say, the options that might be available uh, from a client's point of view that fits in with their preferences as well as what it is that we perhaps might prefer to provide. Exactly. Um, one of the things um, I was wondering about here as well is the, um, the economic dividend here. Because um, often we might cost in perhaps what it might um, cost to provide, say, 14 to 20 um, sessions of psychotherapy compared with a pharmacotherapy course of treatment. Yep. I'm wondering, do we cost enough the the um, expense of people refusing to take treatment and then having their difficulties persist for longer than they um, would otherwise do? Right. I think that's an important consideration. And, and research has shown that it's those people who refuse or drop out of treatment who are the ones who are uh, kind of over and over using the healthcare system. And so because their symptoms remain, um, they're, they're uh, kind of the, that extra burden on uh, clinics, on providers, and just overall cost of, of healthcare. And that's not to mention the cost of the misery and the experience of continuing with that condition either. Exactly. Thanks for listening to this week's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, you can follow the show at WCWTP on Twitter and myself at Saab, S-A-R-B, on Twitter too. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash WCWTP and whocareswhatsthepoint.com. And you can email contact at whocareswhatsthepoint.com if you want to get in contact. Please leave a review on iTunes if you have enjoyed the show. It does really make a difference to us uh, and helps other people to find the show too. Until next week, have a great night.